Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome to the Housewives Archives, a podcast where we discuss in great depth all things real housewives. My name is Ellie Nunn and today joining me straight from Tales from the Crypt, it's my co-host James <laughs> Evans. Clink, clink. Clink, clink. How are you doing, James? Yeah, I'm good. Sorry, I was a bit late um, sending out the invite. So funny story. I sent so out, rude. I sent out the Zoomite. The Zoomite? <laughs> <Sent out. laughs> Strong start. I sent out the Zoom invite and I was like, why hasn't Ellie replied? And then I realized I sent it to my manager instead by accident. So who knows, he may be hopping on at some point to talk all things Real Housewives. Oh, that's all right. I was just saying to James before we started, my brain is quite foggy today because it's quite hectic this end. And the way that I know how busy I am is that I don't have time to consume all of the reality content that I need to be consuming. I'm a bit worried. <laughs> Ellie, are you okay? I'm a bit worried. It's a, it's a desperate state of affairs. So over here in in the UK, we've just started a new season of Love Island. And Love Island's obviously on every night. So it's quite an intense commitment. It is a relationship in and of itself, isn't it? It is. And... I just kind of forgot how big that commitment was and suddenly juggling like Love Island and Real Housewives and New Beverly Hills with my actual life <laughs> is, is a bit overwhelming. Obviously one of those has to go on the back burner and I think we all know what it and should be. And it's rehearsals. I think it's rehearsals for, right. for this TV school. I think really like Completely. they're just going to have to deal with my NAs and my complete lack of focus. So. Yeah. It's what everyone would want. So one of the things that's happened on this new Love Island is that they've just introduced a new girl to... It's funny, my mum watched the um, opening episode with me and she was so horrified. For the first time ever. For the first time ever. And it was one of those things where I suddenly saw it through her eyes and I was Mm -hmm. like, wow, for her generation and someone who doesn't have social media and doesn't have any sense of this world, she was just like, so they all get put in this villa and then what? And I was a bit like, well, they they sort of play games where they all just kind of make out with each other and sort of fake sex positions or whatever. And she was like, and she kept going, oh, this person's this person's not very bright or whatever. And I was like, yeah, you're not quite getting the, the point. It's kind of the vibe, given, isn't it? And she kept saying, but how can they be coupling up? They don't know each other yet. And I was like, yeah, I don't know. That's kind of the point. Maybe it's not for you, Mum. I feel like if she sticks with it, though, and you watch it with her, it might be really illuminating because I can imagine that she'd bring some... I think I can imagine it becoming a very high-low thing with her and I think she's going to see the, the greater meaning and she's going to come out... I mean, just like us with this. <laughs> like, Well, sometimes I feel like there's some real knowledge or some real discoveries that come from putting something that you're very familiar with in front of some completely foreign eyes. And when they just discuss what they literally see before totally, them, it's quite illuminating on your part. It's like when you take like a piece of art and put it in front of a child. As I frequently do. As <laughs> So, but yeah, yeah her, like her main takeaway really made me laugh. They were all stood there in their bikinis and she went, oh, it looks quite chilly. <laughs> when the sun's not out. She's yeah. like, it's a bit, it's a bit cloudy you there, You feel it when it? the sun's not out, yeah. So yesterday they introduced a firecracker of a lady and her name is Ekin Sue and I just can't stop finding <laughs> it really funny. And every time the guys were like, that Ekin Sue, I'm like, Ekin Sue, Ekin. Ekin. It Ekin, sounds she's like Turkish. It sounds oh. like a northern swear word. It I was going like to say it like... sounds like the narrator in a Bronte novel or something. <laughs> the loyal housemaid who's like seen it all over the years. It's like Nellie Dean, basically. Like Nellie Dean and Ekin Sue, they've seen it all out on Tutmores. Whereas I keep thinking it sounds just like flipping Eck or something. So right. it sounds like Ek they're like, Sue. oh, Ek and Sue. But also there were two girls introduced at the same time and I thought they were called Ek and Sue <laughs> for ages. <laughs> Ek and Sue. Ek and Sue, what a pair. 
couple of firecrackers between them. I can't take it seriously. And Ekin Sue is really hit on a guy called Davide. You're an Ekin Sue. Ekin Sue is really hitting on this guy called Davide. And last night we were just like, you can't have Davide and Ekin Sue. That is just the silliest name pairing I've ever heard. Keep them apart. <laughs> they will not be kept apart. The world will collapse if Ekin Sue and what Davin Day? Davide. Da- Davide, he's Italian. Davide, oh, okay. Oh, God. Mace actually no. told me the most amazing bit of insider knowledge, apparently. So when Davide arrived, he's Italian and he... <laughs> Davide sounds Welsh to me. Ooh, Davide. Davide. Ooh, what was that thing I said in the... Ooh, ooh, ooh you really too many books. Ooh, you read too many books. Reading too many books, though. That was my attempt at a Welsh accent while I was with oh, James. Anyway, Davide, who's Italian, but he introduced himself into the villa by coming in and being like, who wants an Italian snake? And <laughs> <laughs> apparently, Mace was told by someone else who knows. It's a bit like a friend of a friend. She really keeps but... her ear to the ground, doesn't she? When it comes to reality TV. That's why she's our roving wow. reporter. But <laughs> apparently she knows someone who was like his chaperone before he went into the villa and he was saying what shall I say when I go in and they said who wants an Italian snack (laughs) (laughs) he walked in and said who wants an Italian snake an easy mistake to make really really hope that people anyone watching Love Island on this podcast I hope that you really enjoy that has it gripped the nation in the way that it used to do no oh but it's always a slow start because at the beginning it's all exposition. It's a bit like starting the Real Houses of Orange County from the start. They've got right. to kind of establish what they are and what it is. And also the point of Love Island is you have to be invested in the couples that couple up in order to care about them breaking up mm-hmm. or fancying someone else. Mm-hmm. And at the moment it's like, well, they've only known each other for three days. So it's not mm-hmm. that. It, it's actually, it's got quite spicy. This this Ekin Sue has really... It's <laughs> <Stop. laughs> really... Uh, Spice things up. I bet it has. She's very clever. She came. She came straight in and did that classic thing of being like, "I'm not here to make friends. I'm here to find the one." Oh, for fuck's And sake. then it's just like calling all the boys for chats and being like, "Come on, let's work out together." And she keeps doing that. Very, I find it very triggering. She keeps going to the boys and being like, "I'm just like very present. I'm just very chilled as a person." And it's that thing of going a bit like, not like these other girls who overthink mm. everything. And I mm. can't stand. It's a very clever tactic. Yeah. That really made it sound like, God, the number of boyfriends I've lost to Ekin, the Ekin Sue's <laughs> of this world. My nemesis, Ekin Sue. Ekin Sue. So, Ekin Sue, <laughs> before we get into uh, the dregs of, of season eight. We'll get into the dregs of Beverly Hills, shall we? Yeah, so I'm a little bit behind, but I've just this morning watched. Oh, I've got a busy life. I've got lots of business going on, James. And uh, so <laughs> I'm having business. to squeeze in. The Dow's down. Just... <laughs> <laughs> the yen's really taken a pound in. <laughs> squeeze my content in between my big business meetings. Right. <laughs> By the way, just to... Get your head around this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I sound like I'm about to try and sell you something. Like, yeah, really our mattresses are... <laughs> <laughs> We're a working girl over here. Okay. Oh no, only $30. <laughs> uh, with a 60-day guarantee. Anyway, okay. I'm sold. So the show I'm doing at the moment... Give us a plug. I just think this is, I just think this is a really funny piece of information. So we have three sets of identical twins mm-hmm. in the show. So we're already having to get our head around the fact that we have to work out who each twin is in the set, but then they're playing different twins, but then those twins swap in the storyline because it's the story of the parent trap. So -hmm. then they're playing the wrong twin. Like, I can't even, that's math I can't even do, like working out who's who. You've already lost me, yeah. So there's a dog in the show. Okay. So there's two dogs because the dog has to have an understudy. Presumably one's called Ek and one's called Sue. Yep, of course. And then the plot requires the dog has to like one of the twins and not the other one. Right. So they were telling us that apparently half of the sets of twins are going to be told to like fuss the dog and become friends with the dog. <laughs> the other half aren't allowed. Just have to like abuse it. Oh, okay. <laughs> no, just have to ignore it. What? But 
they're like 10 year olds so it's really sad to be like half of you get this puppy and half of you aren't allowed to be anywhere near the puppy oh this is a bit too method for my liking it's a bit like those like mary ainsworth experiments of the 90s where it was a bit like we're gonna put a child in a room and see what happens if we take their mother away for 10 minutes it's like how they develop detachment theory yeah or like those experiments where like you take all the blue-eyed kids and make them feel like shit and then all the brown-eyed kids are like the master race and then (laughs) they're like exactly they're like half this set of twins get to play with the puppy and the other half get put in a darkened room with no food or water exactly so so it's going swimmingly and it's lots of fun and apparently next week we have to have a meeting about how to work with children and then we have to have another meeting about how to work with the dog okay it's a lot that's crazy and we have to have We also have to have a 90-minute talk on mental health, which feels quite odd because it's a musical of the parent trap, so it's not exactly like... It's not the hardest-hitting subject matter. Yeah, I've done some really dark shows where there hasn't been a 90-minute mental health chat, but... Is that just the new normal in theatre? I guess so. And I guess we're all just adjusting. I just don't think I could talk about anything for 90 minutes apart from maybe Real Housewives. So that's the next week is me getting up to do do the official Real Housewives chat. (laughs) You've been getting it in anywhere. So you were telling me that you're teaching at drama school now and you've been forcing Real Housewives. your students who pay top dollar to the creme de la creme of the next generation of acting to watch the Real Housewives. I tell you what. I used, I was teaching someone how to perform Ladies Who Lunch from your favourite from company. Yep. It's my go-to piece. And I was giving them the note because everyone laughed at something that they did. When it says about when they get depressed, it's a bottle of scotch plus a little jest. Mm -hmm. Everybody laughed. And I said, oh, after that, when people laugh, could you slightly put everyone on the back foot by suddenly being quite angry with them where it's like, oh, we thought we were all in on the same joke. Uh Uh-huh. And I, I used as a point of reference Kim Richards in the back of that car with Lisa Rinner when she's like, <laughs> when, when she's being like, I think I could be a murderess. And then she's like, what are you doing? Are you You're doing? disgusting. Just fuck what you. are you doing to me? You're a slut. <laughs> fuck you. you I used that as my... <laughs> did you get it up? I think that was a really solid... Um, did I get it up? Like, I, presumably you like got your laptop open, put on a projector, everyone gather around. Oh, I see what you mean. I was like, James, that's not we the need kind to of watch language it we use full. at drama school. No. no, I just described it to them. Anyway, last thing before we talk about Beverly Hills, which is a nice segue into it, is that one of my co-stars, a delightful girl in the company, is also obsessed with Real Housewives. And you know when someone says they love Real Housewives and you think, oh, here it comes. They're going to be yeah, like... we've all been down this road before. They're only going to know one of them yeah. or they're are they going to be like, yeah, I, I watched a few seasons of The Real Housewives of Cheshire or whatever. Mm-hmm. No, no, no. She knows all of the franchises. She was referencing like early OC and saying about like those beginning seasons. And she's like up to date on Beverly Hills and stuff where you can have a proper conversation. I was like, she's just made it straight into my good wow, books. Wow, Yeah. Straight to your heart. I'm very impressed. Yeah. And it's great because we're sharing a flat together over the summer, so I can just force her to watch for our housewives after the show. Did you plug the pod? Be like, you said you liked it! (laughs) Watch her watching it. Yeah. (laughs) Right, new Beverly Hills. Right. So tell me where you're at right now. Remind me what you've got Oh yes, that's where we started. This morning I watched the episode where Crystal says Sutton said something dark, but then won't say what it is. Right. And Sutton's Parisian party. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. My, okay. My biggest takeaway from that entire episode was Sutton's brunch for Diana, in which she seemed to have had like a full catering for like an entire wedding breakfast for just two. It was Why massive. Why were there three trays of smoked salmon? Absolutely ginormous. And to watch the two of them just put like one piece of smoked salmon and a grape on their plate was like painful. What a flex. Because there was so much food. But it was a worthy investment. We know this is going to be a plot point that Sutton ate a bit of bacon in front of Diana. We know that this is going to get relitigated throughout the rest of the season. Do you season. think? Uh, come on, it's Beverly Hills. This is <laughs> this is going to be the major plot point. I couldn't believe it. Yes, we had... Um, Crystal made this announcement that Sutton said something rather dark. and What's going most... on with Crystal? I don't know. I'm trying to... Okay, let me explain what happens in the next episode. Basically, she says that Sutton said this thing that was very dark and all the women obviously go, well, what was it? She goes, yeah. I'm not going to say, but it was really problematic. No, they go, it was really dark. And then they say, that's a really big word because this is like a really bad habit that they have on Beverly Hills. where they That's happened of- in the one I just watched. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they pick up on the word and then Crystal's like, okay, I won't say dark, I'll say problematic. And they're like, well, that's also a big word. What did she say? And then it kind of comes out in a very roundabout way where, first of all, it's really funny, that talking head. I think it's in the episode you just watched where you do see Sutton for like a split second go, did I say? Like she's briefly (laughs) considering whether she said something really repugnant. Um, And you do kind of see she has that like deer in her headlights look right now where she's like, oh, did I? But it comes out, Sutton says to Garcelle, the only thing I can think of is I had this. That's the worst is when you actually, you're going to have to frustrate yourself in a situation by I've done this before where I thought I've done something wrong. So I've actually found things I have done wrong. And then at the end, someone's like, Oh, no, that's not what I was talking about. <laughs> <It's> like... <laughs> but now we're on the topic. Can we do that? Yeah. <laughs> so she says to Gar- Sutton says to Garcelle, well, I did have a conversation with Crystal the next day. So not that night with Kyle. And then it's a flashback to Sutton and Crystal talking. And Sutton goes, you know, 20 years ago when I had the kids and they were young and I was looking out in the jacuzzi and my kids were in there and there was a black kid, there was a redheaded Catholic girl, there was a Chinese girl in the pool and I was thinking, this is what it should be. This is what it should be. And Crystal kind of being like, okay, great, but you need to sort of go further than that right now. And then Garcelle says to Crystal, is that what it was? And Crystal kind of says, yes, basically. But it feels more like she said yes, just to get people off her back. And I don't know, I love this idea of Sutton looking at like basically a Gap Kids commercial and being like, mm, racism's over. I fixed it. You know, like, <laughs> it's definitely very, uh, like a cringe, mm, Diversity naive, soup. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The great melting pot. It's a, definitely like an older white lady, like take on sure. rights. And it's like a clumsy thing to say, but I'm... St- it's not dark about though. and i'm yeah and i the only thing i mean i appreciate that crystal is a good 10 years younger than everyone else she's the only millennial there and she's got a different lexicon and a different eye mm. and a different set of cultural values to the rest of the women and she's maybe has more of a sense of nuance for discussions of race and of course i appreciate that as only one of two women of color in the group i can only assume maybe that she's inherently triggered on quite a base level by being in a group of sure. vapid white women being vapid and white yeah so my sympathies are absolutely there for crystal but i fear that it's now been bigged up in such a way and there's been so much anticipation built up around it that it's now been crystallized to one really damning word or phrase that Sutton supposedly used and there's never going to be a satisfying reveal. I think the other women, because they don't have a sense of nuance for this sort of thing and also they have a flair for dramatic, they're immediately assuming the worst and you can tell they're all sort of itching to go, did Sutton use the N-word basically? And anything less than that, they're all going to go, oh, oh, is that it? yeah. It's tricky. And I suspect what had happened in reality, it was just like a constant steady stream of Sutton putting her foot in her mouth and making lots of well-meaning but clumsy statements. Coupled with Sutton has a bit of a tendency maybe to lean towards victimhood, which may be contributed. But it's tricky because Crystal is having a tendency to use words. And I know that she's annoyed by it and she keeps being like, oh, everyone keeps focusing on the word. But words like violated and dark are big words. And I found it quite annoying when Crystal did the talking head where she was like, Doc, it's a four letter word with one vowel. I'm like, how do you spell a word? It's It's like, I can think of another four letter word that begins with C and ends with T and has one vowel in the middle and it's a pretty big word. Like if I called someone that, I couldn't be like, I don't get it. It's just a tiny little four letter word. Uh I think Crystal also needs to own that she does use big words to describe, you know. I think what's tricky is Crystal is dealing in nuance and a much more nuanced thing where exactly... I can totally imagine that what she was trying to explain is that that comment didn't come from the one thing that Sutton said. It came from an entire weekend spent with Sutton saying quite clumsy comments. So she was picking up on that. But when you then throw into that something like violated or dark, it does lose that nuance because that is a big word. In the same way that even though it annoys me on all of these franchises, whenever they're like, bullying's a big word. Bullying Mm -hmm. is a big word. And I think it's getting tricky when Crystal keeps saying, everyone keeps picking up on the words I'm using. And it's like, well, yeah, because if you're not going to explain what happened and only use that word, everyone is going to, their mind is going to jump to the worst The worst possible thing, yeah. Which is what they clearly all did. Yeah. Whereas if she'd said, oh, it was just wearing me away over that weekend or something then people would understand that it was like lots of little microaggressions or something rather than she like dropped the m-word right yeah so that i mean i'll go and watch the the next episode in the next few days yeah maybe you'll feel differently to how i viewed it and we can discuss yeah 
the other my other main takeaways from that were Erica's we don't know if the widows and orphans actually did take <laughs> that money and everyone's response and her just being like I'm not going to apologize for something we don't know whether it happened and it's a bit like Whoa. They seem to be two opposing ideas, but somehow Erica's managing it. It's this slow slide into Kim D territory of, fuck it, I've got nothing to lose. I'm just going to be a complete provocateur Full and a villain. villain. Yep. And also this slow slide into Kathy Wakili territory where she's just comically ignored all the time. So it happens again in this most recent episode where <laughs> Sutton is arguing with Crystal and saying, what you're implying is a character assassination. And then it cuts to that same thing of like, slanders slander of Erica being like like you're one to talk about character assassination and no one listens to her and it's that same thing like almost the Taylor Armstrong thing of even though she was so pivotal in the massive drama last year she's become kind of of irrelevant Erica shut up like we're on to more important stuff now and exactly no one's paying her any heat absolutely (laughs) yes Yes. It's really funny. And then the last thing I wanted to mention was just the ludicrousness of the Lisa Vanderpump being brought up and everyone acting as if Garcella just said Voldemort and (laughs) screaming and running around and lying on the floor like, she almost up in aid! She almost up in aid! Like... The most ludicrous, like, my God, what did Lisa, like, the villainization of that woman is just so insane. It's so funny. The way Garcelle really cracked me up when she said that. She's a woman after my own heart. Because it's like the dramatic port. She knew exactly that would be the reaction as well. Exactly. So the kind of like the giddiness with which she got off the phone with her son and was like, oh, I can't, sorry, I sound a bit Luan when I do Garcelle. (laughs) But she's so low and she's so kind of like, I can't wait to tell the girls. Guess who my son's working for? And then they're like, who? Lisa Vanderpump. (laughs) (laughs) It's like Danielle and Luan combined. Lisa Vanderpump. (laughs) And then just like throwing her head back and laughing manically as she's Um, like causes absolute chaos. I loved her red two-piece and her green suit in the evening. Garcelle just looks incredible. Mm. And then Doree, I feel like such a cold-hearted bitch but all this triggering all and i know it's terrible because i'm sure i just think i find it really hard with these shows when something bad happens and they don't just not be on the show for a bit like all the stuff bit in the car her response to kyle saying that there was like a paparazzi outside her house and then like freaking out about the press being at the event where I'm like being followed by cameras the entire time and also of course there's going to be press at Sutton's event yeah it's not like it was press turning up to like a private tea party there was press at the opening of Kyle's store the week before and Teddy was there doing interviews yeah it was so weird also it's kind of that thing of I can't remember what it's in regard to, but some petty bit of drama happening and then suddenly cutting to a talking head of Dorit very seriously saying that's a picnic it's when Crystal said this isn't a safe space for me and she's like really? You're going to say that it's not a safe space compared to what I went through last week. I kind of had this in the back of my head when the news of the break-in happened while it was filming. And I remember everyone being like, oh, and the drama. But I remember kind of thinking, and it's sort of happened that once the initial shock of it happening has died down on the show, we then sort of have to deal with someone who's just fundamentally damaged and Mm. shouldn't on the be on the show and without sounding really heartless is kind of a drain on the petty drama that we watch the show for yeah like you if- can't that's the point is you can't with a show like this now whatever happens be like i was held at gunpoint last yeah. week like it's <laughs> it's like well yes that is terrible that's but always a given like, but this show is petty exactly yeah. yeah and also i'm like where was all of your like when lisa vanderpump's brother died and everyone was a bit like oh lisa you can't keep going back to that we need to get on with right. the show. it's like we're very selective about when people's stuff uh, sure. is allowed to stay with them. Anyway, okay, that was a lot on Beverly Hills. Now, season eight. Let's wrap this bad boy up. Milan. Mila- no, before Milan, though, we got the posh fashion show to get to. Didn't we go to the posh fashion show last no, week? No, we didn't. We ended with Danielle being like, we're going to walk in there like the Charlie's Angels plus one <laughs> and give it to her straight. Her casting herself as Farrah Fawcett in her mind, <laughs> when we all know she's like a Shelley hack. I don't think I finished listening to our episode, oh, or God. I missed us saying Why am I that. surprised? Sorry, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Oops. 
Um, so basically okay, we end so... with them having this game plan and they're all high-fiving each other, basically. Yes. And then, so let's pick up from there. So Teresa's basically doing a Danny Provenzano of going to an event with Danielle specifically to fuck shit up. Yeah. Despite the fact that she's still technically on parole. Kim oh, wow, is the, a the, punk, the... is a punk, <laughs> is a punk. Punk and a coco and a punk. And a, a... Yeah. a madam's a punk. Punk. I kind of want to be there, though I suspect there's kind of like a latent Kim G-esque part of me that would get like an almost sexual charge from watching the drama while still feeling completely out of my depth and regretful at the same time. And I feel like a lot of the women are like that. We've got like Marge in the back, which is probably what I would do, where she's just standing in the back going, yeah, and not really doing... Exactly, they all come and they do absolutely nothing. They just stand behind Teresa. Yeah. And then eventually they're like, Teresa, Teresa, don't throw a chair. There's something yeah, so like... relatable to them all being like, what, they're all like winding each other up and they're all pre-gaming at Margaret's house and then they're like in the car so now they're going to like rip Kim D a new one and then they get all the way to the venue and they go right up to the double doors before they go into the room where Kim D is and you just see them all like hovering outside going, so, but seriously, what are we going to say? Like, what are we going to do? Yeah, now? yeah, exactly. It's so funny. <laughs> they suddenly get, they get very sheepish. And yeah, thank God for Teresa because the rest of them are just hovering at the back. Like Danielle, I've never seen her be such a wallflower. This is not the Danielle oh. that I know and love. Exactly. It's actually a real anticlimax, I think. It is an anticlimax. I will say though, on a personal note, I am happy for Danielle because I think she got her moment. This is all she ever wanted. Lest we forget, she just wanted to be included and be part of the group. And I'm really happy for her that she's on the other side of things, as she says in her talking head. You know, when she says it's so nice not to be the recipient of Teresa's ire this time, not just that, it also feels like it's just nice to be the other side of it, as in behind Teresa, because behind Teresa is where the group is and she just wants to be part of the group. And I think on a similar note throughout the season, in a very general way, it's a refreshing change to see Danielle behaving quite tactically for once. And we sort of mentioned instances last week, but mm. normally she's so on the outs. She's quite comfortable living in a world of just flying off at the handle and doing whatever she wants because she has nothing to lose. So it's interesting to see her sort of temper herself here and really pick her targets and her moments in a very strategic Shakespearean way. Well, I think in this season, she's very determined to have a place in the group. It's quite fragile that place and she's yeah. being careful to keep it and it's interesting because right from the beginning of the next season she seems to just blow her load and then just be it on her own again yeah. and we get far more of that old Danielle thing of just enjoying being a bridezilla or enjoying being on the outs more yeah compared to this one it's like she's on her best behavior yeah and I think she's very lucky that Siggy's there who's so clearly flying totally. off of the handle already there's like a very easy target to pick on there where it gets a bit murkier when yeah. Siggy's gone and in terms of having nothing to lose, that mantle has been picked up by Kim D, hasn't it? Like, it's really fascinating to see Melissa or Danielle be so tunnel visioned and selective in what battles they can and can't pick because they don't want to piss off Teresa and they want to stay on the show. Mm -hmm. Argue with Kim D, who sees herself unequivocally as the villain. She has the freedom to just lay it all out. She's sitting down the whole time and she's like, hi, ladies, welcome. Yeah, I said it. I said it because I felt like it. And so what? What are you going to do? And they're all sort of, they go into a tailspin because exactly there's no way of arguing with that. Someone who's just so clearly like, yeah, I'm a horrible person and I'm just stirring shit up just for fun of it. She also just can't keep the grin off her face the entire right. time. Kim just loves it. She loves being on the show. She loves being provocative and the drama. And there's no tactical consequence for her. And there's you know. nothing you can do to that. Yeah. Except actively beat someone up, in which case Teresa will go to prison. So it's like, there is nothing that can really happen. There, no. <laughs> Speaking of Teresa can't beat her up, it's fascinating when you see Kim D walk away and you can actually pinpoint frame by frame Teresa's very primal instincts kicking in where she like goes yeah, to yeah. pick up her glass of vodka pineapple and then chuck it at Kim D's head, but at the very last second going, oh, yeah, that's right, I'm on probation. And then like close her fist yeah. at the last second and just kind of awkwardly move a chair to one side. Push instead. a chair. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. We also get another um, zoo metaphor, Cursity of Dolores, where she's like, you know what, I lived in this part of the zoo for a long time and Teresa, Teresa's not coming in peace. Ugh, Dolores in that zoo. Zookeeper Dolores. It. I'm not even, I own property in the zoo. I'm not a renter. I'm on the, I'm on the board. <laughs> You know, there's some zoning permit Season issues pass. at the moment. And yeah, I just, exactly. I have an annual Merlin pass to the zoo. It's a bundle pass. It's it's not just the zoo. <laughs> it's also, it's, it's Madame Tussauds. It's the London Dungeons. It's, <laughs> it's, 
uh, it's Peppa Pig world. I summer in the zoo and then I winter in Peppa Pig world. It, it just it just works well for me. You know, like me and Frank, we, we live together in Peppa Pig world. It is, it is what it is. But yeah, I find the posh fashion show quite boring. Because <laughs> then they all just have to shuffle off and then Ziggy and Dolores just walk in the show and it's like... And yeah. it's done. Of course, we get the piece of shit, Coke Hall, Homewrecker every day. Yeah. Do you think Therese was just like manically rehearsing that? for the three days like leading up to the or do you think she says it in the moment i think it has to be spur of the moment i don't think Teresa's mentally capable of planning anything in advance i think everything she does is always just a knee-jerk reaction because piece of shit is quite quick yes it's amazing that it works and i think it might just be blind luck but also it's playing with the standard of how you hyphenate things so she's clearly put piece of shit as individual words and then she's hyphenating home wrecker <laughs> as one word and then every day, you know? So it's kind of a bit... She's not really following one standard. Have you missed Coke Whore? Oh, yes. Coke Whore. She's treating as one word or hyphenating it. Yeah. And then Home, home, home wrecker. wrecker. Also is like one word. When really... And also, exactly. You know, every day. And then every day. Because if she's treating Home Wrecker and Coke Whore as one word, then she should really treat piece of shit as just one word. That just needs to represent the P, you know? Yeah. I tell you what it reminds me of is when we were younger, my sister and I, my sister and I were asked both to write a poem for my dad for his birthday. And my sister's a poet and she wrote this beautiful, I mean, we must have been like eight years old and 11 years old or whatever. And her poem's all about being like, not all heroes can fly. Not all heroes wear capes. Not all heroes fight bad guys, whatever. And at the end, it's like, but you're my hero, dad. And I love you. Mine was one of those ones like this, where you like spell out someone's name. If in doubt. Yeah. And right along the way. And it's still framed in the house. And it's literally like, not stingy with money <laughs> is one of them. <laughs> <laughs> Never grumpy. I was going to say, there's a lot of ends in his name. So totally like, awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Just a lot of what you're not. Like, I don't not not like you. R- oh, r- as I remember R is like, rarely angry. <laughs> rarely. <laughs> Sometimes, but rarely. It's all like quite lukewarm, exactly. I'm not sure how much it says about our relationship. Oh, um, Shall we talk about Milan? Please. A couple of general points about this particular trip before we get started. Uh-huh. First of all, I love the obligatory trope that they have here of, I'm feuding with this housewife, but I already invited her five minutes ago, so I can't uninvite her. That would be rude. It's like, you know, like a given on housewives. <laughs> of, you can call someone the most disgusting, yeah. vile things. You could like break up their marriage, spread all sorts of gossip <laughs> about her. But disinviting someone from an event everyone is just a step too far like they will suddenly that's where they have a moral compass and that's where they draw the line is like the worst thing you could do and also i love that it's always put like it was a genuine spontaneous invitation of well i mean we're going on this work trip to milan do you guys want to come rather than like a paid for very important trip for the show in which they all have to attend that's been planned for like six months in advance yeah that's like in their contract this is so convenient because we happen to just be going to milan do you guys want to come and production is yeah, like, yeah, yeah, sure. But it's such an argument for, at this point, guys, just say that. Just say it's time for us to go on a group trip. Because here, they actually, yeah. you know, sometimes there's varying degrees. Sometimes it's just like, oh, do you want to go on vacation? Let's all get away. But here, they're like, oh, wow, we actually have business to do out there. And Melissa, do you want to come with me? Sure, yeah, let's just make it a whole group trip. And it completely falls flat. So the whole, cons- the whole, it's exactly the same conceit as this Hallmark movie that I reviewed on my Instagram. Yeah. It's been noticed that you still haven't done it on my hormone. No, I need to, I'm going to, as soon as it's back on, I'll do it. I'm going to do it. It was like a Valentine's Day movie called Very Valentine. (laughs) And the lead is a woman called Valentine. And she and her grandmother make shoes. And they're in dire financial straits. They're on like the verge of financial collapse. Of course. And Valentine's solution is to fly out to Italy mm-hmm. and just like ride on the back of a hot Italian guy's Vespa in order to like get inspiration. And there's like all these wacky scenes of her in like a monastery embossing leather and she's being American and blah. And then <laughs> it's basically what happens in this. So in this case, they're going to supplies means going to a showroom for five minutes melissa saying the most general non-specific things about the style i'm looking for is sexy but classy (laughs) and then picking out a couple of shit bomber jackets that are clearly just for herself and then calling it a day and then also margaret going to a shoe factory which 
was the whole reason. I'd be like, it's a bit it's, slow. <laughs> it's a bit slow and it's a bit expensive. And it's like, Marge, this could have been an email. You could have, like, the two major <laughs> questions. You didn't need to fly all the way out here. But also, as if the Macbeth collection is going to be made by authentic what? shoemakers in Milan who seem to be making gorgeous, tailored, like, flamenco shoes rather than... Yeah. It was, like, proper craftsmanship. And it's like, doesn't isn't the Macbeth collection just, like, neon It's a load of tat. tat. Even in the next season, I kind of appreciate that Jennifer's loud and obnoxious, but I appreciate her just doing that grand tour of her disgusting home and going, we flew out to China to get it all. It's like, yeah, because it's cheap. Yeah, she owns it. If you're going to Milan, of course it's going to be expensive. What do you expect? Very, very, very funny. So all in all, this trip is a bit of a wash in terms of the actual reason why they've Mm -hmm. come. There's still plenty of good shit to talk about. The main one for me that stands out is the opening montage as it shows them packing their bags and getting the Uber to the airport and then flying. It suddenly stops in the middle of the montage and all the music stops and it's just this clip of Danielle (laughs) stood on the curb with her bags. And she goes, well, that's not exactly curbside, I have to say. (laughs) (laughs) That's our girl. I was under the impression you were your own bags and that you would be curbside. <laughs> Is this what Chris meant when he said there would be a big surprise? He said, <laughs> he said oh, 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 there'll be curbside. <laughs> Is that a threat? You'll kick me to the curb? Is that what you're saying? Oh. Oh. Anyway, good. I had to get out of there. She just cracks me up. Um, so I think the first big thing is this... Hitler where they talk about yeah the hit did I say the Hitler the dinner where they talk about the Hitler analogy the Hitler is the Hitler <laughs> where they this, talk about the Hitler dinner character I don't know if you've heard of him so there's the one where they're sat in the kind of back room of the quite nice looking Italian restaurant a beautiful restaurant stunning and, and gorgeous yeah and they're ha- and they're arguing over they're still on this Kim D thing right yes that's no where, no they are no because. Hang on, but Marge has already said the Hitler thing, hasn't she? She doesn't say that at the dinner. Yeah, so she said it it's at the It's di- that Siggy is saying how upset she is by Margaret's comment. Yes. So it originally comes up with Siggy saying, there's an elephant in the room. You're already pissed with me and Dolores for being friends with Kim D. And they kind of quash it. Dolores is very good uh-huh. in that Dolores way when Melissa says, I really didn't like how you got in my face and said, yes, that's right. Don't tell me what to do. And Dolores immediately is like, and I felt very bad about that. I did. I did. I felt yeah. very bad and it's sort of done. But then off of that, Siggy goes, but I feel like you and Melissa and Teresa, you don't have our backs because you're fraternizing with Margaret and Danielle, who are pieces of shit, basically, and they're out to get us. And then that leads into Siggy bringing up this Hitner, Hitner? Hitler analogy. God. And I feel like my feelings on this have changed from when I first watched it because I remember first watching it and kind of pretty much coming down on the side of everyone else. And actually this time, I sort of view it slightly differently. I don't know how you took it. Really? Well, I just feel like it's a lot more nuanced than people give Siggy credit for. I think, first of all, obviously it's a very common analogy to make. If anything, it's kind of overused. And I think with overuse, there is a tendency to be quite glib with it. Probably. And I think that Margaret is a sensible person. I think she's an intelligent person. And I think that in that moment, I think if I was at that dinner with Siggy and I started to make that comparison and then remembering that Siggy is, you know, very vocally from a family of Holocaust survivors when I was making this analogy, I would maybe go back and be like, oh, Stalin would have been good to me or something like that, something that's a bit less specific. No, I know. But at the same time, I I agree with you that I, I think that glibness is very prevalent and someone said to me I did that a couple of years ago I messaged someone saying oh I can be a bit of a comedy Nazi and they were just like don't say Nazi and then I I was the one that then had that whole thing of being like oh shit I completely forgot they were Jewish that was so awful or whatever I don't think they care that much they were just like don't say they I think they were just saying exactly what you've just said which is it becomes very overused Mm -hmm. as a comparison point yeah but that didn't begin like an entire feud between I just think I think Siggy's behaviour is unreasonable. Well, I think it happens so quickly. And I think that's why rewatching it actually was quite beneficial. Because in fairness, Siggy starts for about five seconds, I will say. It's very quick. But she starts to say... She doesn't immediately go to a place of, you said Hitler and you're an anti-Semite. 
I felt like she was calmly explaining her point and she was saying she found it inappropriate. And then suddenly everyone around the table is on their feet and they're telling her that she's dramatic and they're yelling and they're saying that Margaret has Jewish kids and she was married to a Jewish guy. So you should give her the benefit of the doubt. And there's just for a split second, something about a table full of women yelling at the one Jewish person, how she should feel about a Hitner analogy that made me feel a bit kind of icky made me feel a bit icky i didn't notice it but maybe if i went back and watched i would but i i that, yeah anyway that's interesting though carry on but then and then where the anti-semitic thing comes from there's a progression where off of Teresa saying that margaret was married to a jewish man siggy says believe me i know a lot of people who have married jews and they can't stand jews and Again, this is probably me overly giving Siggy the benefit of the doubt, but intentional or no, I felt that she was using the same rhetorical device back on the women and they don't like it to prove a point. Mm. So Siggy's original point about Kim D is a gossip and that's it. She's not an evil person. To compare her to a dictator and a genocider is flippant and it is diminishing the severity of the Holocaust. Mm -hmm. In doing so... It's actually really offensive to her and the memory of those who perished under Nazi rule, especially when they're in her family. So if you're going to double down and make a glib comparison about something really serious, I'm going to do the same. Margaret, you may have married a Jewish man, but I know lots of people who have married Jews and hate Jewish people. I'm not saying Margaret hates Jews, but da 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 And in that, she has a point of don't be so careless when talking about some really serious weighty stuff. Sure. However, then, of course, she loses me with her next statement where she does just say outright, Margaret is an anti-Semite. It's a similar thing to what you were saying. Do you remember with um, Carlton and Kyle where you were like on Kyle's side? Yeah, I was thinking that as well. Yeah, 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 exactly. And then obviously I'm a big proponent of your feelings, your feelings, and who am I to police them? And I'm not Jewish, so I'm conscious of getting out of my lane. But also the show does defer to Andy Cohen. He doesn't seem that bothered by it. Siggy's own father is like, yeah, it's a clumsy analogy, but it doesn't mean she's an anti-Semite. It's that, it's clumsy. And I think Siggy then tries to do the thing of speaking for everyone of being like, I'm sorry, but Jewish people would find that offensive when actually that's not, I think she needs to speak for how she feels. Yeah. And I think that she's more right when she's saying, I think you're anti-Siggy, where it's like, I think you're allowed to be like, I think you are clumsy with me, but I think to make it, then you are anti-Semitic as if it's like that would offend anyone Jewish when actually some people like Andy Cohen saying, I I actually wasn't offended by that. I just, I go back to that thing of Siggy being a bit like a Kelly Ben Simone or a Carlton, someone who just like hates someone really deeply and they comport themselves in quite a mad way. So people just dismiss them outright. Yeah, I do see that. I think Siggy fundamentally does have a point, but everyone's thrown the baby out with the bathwater because it's all wrapped up in the anti-Semitism thing. Well, her delivery also sucks. Exactly. That's what I mean. It's completely lost. And then... It's sad at the beginning. It made me uncomfortable that people weren't were dismissing Siggy's initial feelings. But then, of course, they have mm. a right to dismiss her feelings of Margaret's an anti-Semite because it's not true. But in doing so, they kind of give Margaret a bit of a pass completely. Yeah. Not saying that it's something that needs to be lit- like litigated. It's just, I just feel like if she hadn't gone to that place, Margaret, once she initially got over the sting of what are you trying to get at? She would go, you're right. I'm a sensible person. That probably wasn't the best choice of words. I apologize. Okay. I do. I see what you mean. Yes. So then the dinner just goes mad because Ziggy starts dismissing Danielle and Danielle. Danielle flies off the handle because she wants that main cast role. She wants the main cast role, but also Danielle does always have what appears to be almost like a triggered reaction to being dismissed or told she's irrelevant. Yes. It's like PTSD from being on the outs with the group. It's like there's something, the need to be included in any time anyone picks up. And there's a reason. It's a bit like that Kathy Wakili thing of whenever someone's saying you're irrelevant, they don't just mean you're irrelevant relevant to this conversation or nobody cares Danielle what they mean is you're not part of the main cast and you're not being offered the main cast and the statement hits a nerve clearly because it's all she wants exactly and the two things don't they become very wrapped up there's the personal hurt and then there's the professional implication of you aren't going to be on the show of I'm really fucking pissed now and I'm going to show that in a way that is going to be so literally glass shattering. It's going to make the trailer. It's going to be like the main focal point. Like I'm going to give you a good show right now and prove why I should be in this group of women. 
as they call it. Exactly. Which I guess works, but it's just, I don't know. I feel like, again, it's just... I find it very performative. It's so performative. It's not the Danielle that I know and love. I feel like it's really underutilizing her. I genuinely think she's a more cerebral character than that. She's more restrained. And it kind of goes against the point... Because even though Dolores and everyone, they're like, oh, like she hasn't changed her tune. She's up to her old tricks. I still believe those first two seasons, especially the first season she was on the defense rather than the offense. Mm. And she's kind of reacting to what she's given. She never like threw a glass unprompted at anyone in those first two seasons. She was mad in many ways, but never in that way. And now it does just feel like she's conformed to Dolores' rewriting of history as Danielle just going, hmm, and twiddling her thumbs and seeing how she can make trouble in this scene rather than acting out because she's in fear for her life because she genuinely thinks the Manzos are going to kill her. Yes, but it is mad. You whore! <laughs> um, does anything else? Does anything else happen in Milan that's worth talking about? I think a big takeaway from me is this is maybe a hot take. It's not a big take, but it's a hot take. Okay. I don't think that Teresa's Italian is as good as she makes it out to be. <laughs> sure. She says nothing. She'll be like ciao, and then like order a drink in English and be like grazie. That's it. You know, yeah. I, I barely it definitely, think it's... it definitely looks easier for them when they're in New Jersey. Uh, completely, it is like the season two trip all over again. It's so funny to see them all fetishize being Italian to the nth degree, and then suddenly clam up and get very shy when they're exactly. in the motherland. Like when Dolores goes to the deli and she's like trying to order some meat from the guy in Italian, and she's she's like a little nervous schoolgirl and she's exactly. very shy. Yeah. And... <laughs> and then we get this talking head from her being like, in a past life, I feel like I was an Italian wife who stayed home and worked and cleaned. And it's like, no, that's you now, Mrs. I'm waiting for my new granite worktops, Frank. It's, yeah. It is you now. Oh. So what rounds off the season? Margaret's house party. Margaret's Studio 54 party, which Teresa obviously doesn't know what that is. And when everyone explains to her that it was a club in the 70s, Teresa goes, Ah, I was born in the 70s. Ah. (laughs) (laughs) Great. Um, And Siggy's notable absence from Siggy's noticeable absence because she, I like to think, has thrown herself down the stairs on purpose. You have to give it to her. Her time was short on the show, but... She brought it. Between her first appearance being fresh from a facelift yeah. to this, throwing herself down the stairs to avoid going to her nemesis's party, she had some fantastic bookends. Falling down the stairs, but then still turning up to the party to make a point to show that you really did fall down the stairs and then make all of your friends leave the party. It's like quite the move. <laughs> quite the move. To be like, here's my sprained ankle. Now, if you're my friend, you'll leave with me. It's like sabotaging Margaret's party. But then I do just love Teresa for seemingly no reason, just going, oh, okay, I'll come too. <laughs> for like, yeah, no I don't understand any of their loyalty things. I think I would be screwed over there. I wouldn't, I, I don't understand the it rules makes of the game whatsoever. No goddamn sense. Also, a daring move on Dolores's part to go dressed up as Luan at Halloween. Doesn't she look exactly yes. like Diana Ross? She She's does. Like, yes. Like, By the way, did you see Diana Ross on the Jubilee concert over no. here? Oh, it's hilarious. For anyone that wants to Google it, Diana Ross was basically clearly singing along to a track. And bless her, she was doing really well. Like it didn't matter. And it kind of looked like she could be singing. And then she accidentally started speaking at one point over <gasps> the note. And then there's another bit where she was like blowing kisses while the note carried on. And it's just really, <laughs> it's really funny. Camp. Great viewing. Can we talk about the reunion? Yes. Danielle, I'm going to repeat it, what I said last week. She looks the best she's ever looked. And it's James, certainly... I don't understand what you're seeing because I rewatched a bit of what? this reunion last night and I was looking and I was like, what is James talking about? From season eight? Yeah, In the red... In the red dress. She yeah. looks great. Like her hair's short. It's not ratty. She's got a very flattering jewel tone on. I just don't see it. It's certainly a step up from the white tank top tucked into the sequin mini Okay, well, of... sure, but anything's a step up from that. I mean, like... and come on, you're ick benign Dolores. I feel like her, she has such a Dolores reaction. No, like, I know. I have to say, I, you know how I feel about you. You're a scumbag, but you, you look amazing. <laughs> you're, you're a very beautiful scumbag. Today. No, I know. I just don't, I don't think she looks bad. I just don't think she looks, I don't quite get it. But anyway. All right. So this whole reunion is pretty much dominated by this Margaret Siggy back and forth. And it's basically an extension of the incredible bit you were doing last week of them 
the Joan Rivers off, which I found so funny listening to it back. I actually need to record the bit of the episode of you doing that sort of five minute comedy goal. It was so good. And I just was having a real moment of appreciation for you. It's actually really hard going back and forth between the two. Their voices. I'm sure. To go from like the like part of your voice to like part of your voice. (laughs) The reunion is basically just that for like two episodes yeah. whatever you shot it like elmer fudd that fits so good a bear with a nose and his and ears and he shot i love how she gestures everything like yeah. elmer fudd that is elmer so my fudd. other my favorite quote of the reunion is when siggy asks where margaret's morals are or something and she goes under your dress bell <laughs> <laughs> what margaret Such says a that? good line yeah <laughs> That is a very funny line. How do you dress, Bill? My favourite quote is, Danielle, God, she cracks me up. When she eventually joins them all, and there's like one package that they're playing, and you just hear Danielle commenting on everything in the background, where she's just like, oh, that's nice. Oh, very nice, Siggy. Oh, oh, I see. Oh, very cruel. (laughs) (laughs) I like when they bring Kim D out, and then at the end, Teresa has to be like, wait, Danielle didn't get to say anything to her. And then the weirdest thing is that I mean, A, it just cements Danielle's kind of irrelevance that Andy Cohen has to be like, oh, yeah, Danielle, is there anything right. you want to say to Kim D? But also the fact that what Danielle wants to bring up to her is about the country club, posh fashion show, where I'm like, hang on, Teresa sat right there. And Teresa was the one, like Kim says, where he's like, hang on, I was chasing, I was holding Teresa back. Which she was correct about, yeah. How is this the thing you're bringing up with me? Like, it's not in your interest to bring this up. Yeah. It's really weird. I lied, by the way, when I said about the it's under your dress bell, as good as that line is, that's not my favourite bit from this reunion. My favourite bit from this whole reunion is when they're comparing, (laughs) they're talking about Margaret's Kim D Hitler analogy and Sicky says something like, did Kim D run concentration camps? (laughs) And it cuts to Teresa Dunos being like, well, I wouldn't put it past her. Like, we don't know. I mean, I'm just saying. Like, I'm just saying. Who knows? (laughs) You never know. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. It was very funny. It's like something from The Shining. You just uncover these old black and white photos from Nazi-occupied France. And Kim D's there fraternizing with the Nazis and, like, dressed like a little flapper or something. I honestly (laughs) feel like the woman's been alive for, like, 300 years. But completely. She's a cockroach. Can't get rid of her. She's one of those people where if you cut her open, she's just full of bugs that are just, like, controlled. She's like the boogeyman in the, like, before Christmas. She's... I do think she's starting... She's just skin on top of something else. I think that's why she's constantly sitting down the whole time. Every scene, whether it be, like, in her store at the posh fashion show she's just fighting them all sat down with this like harem of jersey girls around her like she's Luann getting her henna because she's actually just 120 like yeah they just like roll her in in this reunion in this like like one of those chairs it's like a like I don't know in certain Debenhams cafes you get like a Disney princess section and it's like they have chairs like that that she's in she's just we never see her standing and I think there's I don't know I'm kind of suspicious about that mm. she's yeah, it's amazing. But what else happens in that reunion? I mean, not much. It's a two-parter. There's, I think one thing that I always found interesting and they touch on very briefly is I don't understand how Danielle managed to get on the show and be friends with both Teresa and Melissa because between Danielle leaving at the end of season two and coming back now, I thought the narrative had always been that Danielle sort of outed Melissa as using her to get on the show. Yes. really sort of threw Melissa under the bus and we never... But also, Teresa was annoyed because she was talking because to she... Melissa. So it's like, right. she, the whole point was she was meant to be enemies with both of them, in a way. Yeah, and it just seems... It's very strange. I feel like Teresa has that clout where I guess she can just say, I'm friends with Danielle and she's coming on the show now, but there's just something about Melissa not... There's not even an obligatory scene at the very beginning of the season where she's like, hmm, she did me wrong. And then she has a sit down with Danielle. And she's just like, I it. love Danielle. She's great. Yeah. I've always liked Danielle. I didn't get why anyone didn't. It's really weird. And then they sort of bring her up now and they're both, both Danielle and Melissa are very sort of sheepish about it. And I guess going back to what I said, how they have to be so careful with what they say and what fights they can pick because they desperately want to stay on the show. Yeah. Have that allegiance. Yeah. Especially given that Danielle's such a wild card and she might end up blurting something out. I guess it just behooves Melissa to not go there. I think it's the only time... No, wait, that's not really an interesting point. Um... (laughs) Tell me. Well, props to Teresa for managing to spell posh. 
when she does the piece of shit coke or home yeah. every day but then when kim d's like i'm surprised Teresa can even spell posh and then andy's like what does it stand for again Teresa?" and then Teresa goes on to not spell it properly she's like piece of oh. shit coke every day this is like misses out the h <laughs> I love the bit where someone implies that Kim D's a madam. Oh, it's so good. And then when Teresa said it, she says it, she goes, yeah, she's a mad damn, mad damn. <laughs> Which I love that Kim D's like, I would be a madam. Well, she would. I, mean, I, like, I would be a madam. I'd be a madam. I'd crack that whip. Exactly. And then Andy Cohen's just like, I would kind of see you doing yeah. that. We're all just suddenly like, Kim, maybe you should do those. Just in the first place, him asking her with a really straight face, going from Teresa going, yeah, she would be a mad damn to Andy going, Kim D, are you a madam? Like, as if he's genuinely expecting her to be like, yeah, yeah, I am, yeah. (laughs) I think the only, I don't really have any more points about the reunion, but I do have Mm. some sort of Siggy, I just want to have like a moment. Silence. Silence. If you will. (laughs) Because she has to be one of the biggest 180s we've ever seen between seasons. I'm like really struggling mm. to think of someone whose public perception has shifted more so. Like maybe Jill Zarin? I think it's quite quite similar. I don't think it was unsalvageable either. I think it's a shame that she left on this note. I think if she stuck around, she could have quite easily bounced back, especially given the end finale party. There's a sort of Dolores Siggy Teresa alliance. Mm. But she just gets in the way of herself. And I don't know. Then I also think the fact that she burned out so quickly and threw a tantrum and left the show. The thing is with Siggy, I think is that she's just, she won't shut up. Yeah. It's like, she's too much. And I think in that reunion, she's, too she's much. just a headache. She's too much. It's a, oh God, I can't even, I don't good. think I've done one impression to no. say, no, it wasn't. Don't pity me. <laughs> but yeah, I think she just, she burns out. And on that reunion, it's like those bits we're talking about, the Elmer Fudd bit and the, the foyer argument yeah. and the Hitler thing. Like she's unstoppable, which means you can't hear any of her points properly. And it's exactly that throwing the bath out with the baby. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Throwing the bath out with the baby water. Do you want to make lemons out of lemonade now as well? (laughs) (laughs) But it's exactly that thing that it means that you don't pick up on any of her points because it's just too much. And it's also, it just makes her kind of intolerable. She's a headache. So I think she had to go. It's the same camp as Mary Cosby or or even Danielle. I think it's the Danielle effect. Like you can only have two seasons in you and then you're just going to burn out. It's just, it's it's too much. Exactly. Having said all of that, yes, I just want to discuss something with you. And this is more like an ideological conversation, I guess. Okay, but my AirPods have 10% battery left. All right, so... I'll be quick. <laughs> Not like the meaning of life, but sure. <laughs> no, this is like another Siggy-centric question. I think it would be remiss of us not to mention the fact that she has kind of, since leaving the show, has really slipped further and further into her mania. I don't know anything about this because it's me and I don't ever know anything about the housewives off of the show. So what's happened? Yeah, we try, I feel like in general, to just treat what's on the show as canon and what's off the show as not existing. Mm -hmm. But I feel like Siggy's kind of an interesting exception to this rule because basically she's really slipped into QAnon territory and MAGA stuff. Oh, wow. And there's like a lot of talk that she may or may not have been at the insurrection. (laughs) And it's just, I remember I used to follow her on the show and I remember like slowly watching it play out in real time as more and more problematic stuff was being posted on her social media and then going, oh, "Oh, I need to take a step back. And if you go on her Twitter now, if if, if it's even still open, it's very intense. Oh, I'm going to have to go on her Instagram after this. The question is kind of how much of that that happens off the show do you let color your perception of what is essentially a tv character and i think siggy's an interesting case study on ethically where do we draw the line on who we do and do not have on these shows Mm. you know but isn't it a problem for the show because quite often the people they're going to want to pick obviously are going again and again to have terrible politics because they kind of need quite outrageous self-indulgent if not kind of terrible i don't i'm not saying that that sounded very reductive in terms of a kind of left and right sense of like anyone on the on the right is terrible but i obviously don't mean that but what i meant is in the same way that i was saying about with new york it's problematic once you 
they really tried to introduce a kind of liberal element to the mm -hmm. show. And it's tricky because I think they're trying to appeal to probably a broadly liberal audience. But people don't watch Real Housewives to watch themselves reflected. They don't watch the show to listen to. It's like as much as I loved Ebony, it's not what you're watching for mm -hmm. to be like educated. And you have a bit of a problem if you take people like Ramona and start to say, you know, you need to look at what you're putting out there because it's like, well, everything she's spouted for the last 12 seasons has been garbage. That's why we watch her. Yeah. You know, the way she talks about real estate or the way she talks to cab drivers but like that's the point is mm -hmm. that she, like Ramona's sort of terrible and I think it's similar where it's I don't think it's a surprise that again and again we're going to watch these shows and then find out that someone's kind of deep in QAnon or whatever where it's difficult if then you feel like you can't watch it or follow that person mm -hmm. because I feel like again and again it's going to be those kinds of quite extreme personalities that come out of the woodwork yeah yeah it's really tricky it is tricky. And it's just one that it is honestly an open-ended question and one I'm kind of grappling with. And I think if I watched this season knowing now where Siggy's at mentally, I think it would make for a less fruitful experience because every obviously she behaves quite manically throughout the season. But I think it would make me just dismiss everything as just, oh, she's a complete mm. political nut job. Yeah, I think that is hard. And then, then it would become like a very one note thing where you're just constantly going, oh, well, I'm always on the side of whoever Siggy's arguing with, which I think diminishes yeah. the potential of it. I think just that's a very good point. Thought. Thank you. Yeah. That's just a very interesting thought. I know. Mm. I better go and watch some more Beverly Hills. Yeah. Maybe take a nap. Ooh. I have a very busy schedule at the moment. I just evidently, yeah. Go and just take a snooze. Love Island. All sorts. I'm looking forward to what happens with Eki Sue or whatever she's Eki called. Eki Sue. Eki Sue. <laughs> oh. Uh, all right. Bye, scumbag. Oh, bye, scumbag. <laughs> Goodbye, scumbags, and thank you for joining us on the Housewives Archives. If you liked the episode today, then please go and leave us a review or follow us on Instagram, where James puts out lots of lovely content. Though we haven't, we haven't had. You used to do lots of um, memes. Excuse me, I did a full picture essay on. I loved, I loved that. Thank you. I loved your um, pride. Thank you meme. very much. But I'm just, but you're generally very good at memes, so. I know, I need to get back I, on the memes. I'm right? just missing them. All right. Uh, lots over on, on our Instagram at Housewives Archives. Or just tell your friends, and yeah. we look forward to uh, chatting again next week. Same time, same place. Bye. Bye. It is remarkable that we've been doing this for over a year and a half, and I still haven't learnt the outro. It is. Like, <laughs> not once. No, not once. No. <laughs> 